Welcome to the Bustin' Beaks and Chasin' Tales podcast. Join us for turkey and deer hunting tips, information, and stories. And now your host, Todd Hogan. Hey, thanks for tuning in to Bustin' Beaks and Chasin' Tales. I'm your host, Todd Hogan. With me is a team member, Nathan Overberg. How's it going, Nathan? Oh, doing good, Todd. What's going on, everybody? Uh, Nathan has done some hunting here at the end of the season. We're going to talk about that a little bit, and then we're going to get into something neither one of us are great at, but we know enough to be deadly, and we're going to talk thermals. But uh, first of all, Nathan's at home, sick with the COVID. <laughs> he looks like death warmed over if you're watching this on video, but no, he looks good. You feeling all right? <laughs> Yeah, I'm not feeling too bad. Just had a little bit of a headache and stuffy in my nose and stuff. But uh, other than that, it ain't been too bad. Well, that's good. That's good. So the last weekend of January, or was it the first weekend in January? I don't remember. But you went to Illinois, right? Yeah, first weekend. First weekend. Did you do any good? Uh, yeah, actually. Well, and I, I'll tell you what, you know, and you know the farms we hunt. Uh we have really good deer numbers. I mean, really good, especially down the bottom on the, on the row crop, on the ag, you know, you can see 30, 40, 50. I mean, so you can see upwards of 60 deer sometimes uh, in a field. And I'm, you know, I saw that several times out there, just didn't ever see the one I was looking for. And I went and hunted this different farm. Uh, forget what evening it was. I think it was Sunday evening or, Monday evening, one of the two, one it, when it turned pretty cold, and I stopped counting at 150 deer. Good um, night. <laughs> the, the farmer out there who runs a little outfitting business that I've uh, made uh, acquaintance with here through uh, another hunter, and he leaves uh, bean standing, and I mean, golly, I'll tell you what, I mean, if anybody doubts it whatsoever, man, I mean, if you're able to, or you can talk to your farmer and leave some, and leave some food standing, I mean, golly, I, I just, I hunted the same farm in the rut. I saw deer, I, and don't get me wrong, I saw deer every, every sit I was out there. But I mean, like I said, I stopped counting at 150 deer. I literally about made myself dizzy turning around in the stand just trying to keep track of what deer were where. And I mean, I, we're talking 20, 25 different bucks. I mean, it was just, it was wild, but uh, great experience. Um, I finally, I, I got called back to work. I went back out the following weekend and I, uh, I, I got the, uh, my buddy Mark to, uh, who, who, who runs the, runs the uh, outfitting business out there. He, there was one deer I'd, got on film and showed him some pictures of and I said I said Mark this deer won't score anything I'm like but this is an absolute tank of a deer mm -hmm. I mean he looked like a you know a four by eight sheet of plywood walking sideways across <laughs> I mean he's just a giant body deer but he wouldn't score 100 you know maybe 130 inches and so he finally gave me the you know the go ahead I said I don't want to shoot anything out here you don't you know you don't want taking off here and uh so he gave me the go ahead and it was, that was the night it got the coldest and it was 
I think the high was 17, 18 degrees that day. Uh, it, you know, the lows were down in the single digits and I went and set up on him and he was literally the second or third deer out into the beans. And I waited, waited. He was at about 60, you know, and deer just started filtering in and, and these does started getting nervous. So I had, uh, so they, they started getting a little spooky and just kind of being alert. And I'm like, he got into about 42. And so I took my time. I drew back. I settled in um, and let it go and felt good. You know, 42 yards, I, I, you know, I'd been practicing, felt real comfortable shooting that distance. Um, heard that good thud, you know, after you shot. And I'm like, you know, done deal. I text Mark. I said, Hey, I said, I just, you know, let the air out of that big, you know, out of that big brood I was telling you about. I said, I'll, I'll call you a little closer to dark when I get down and find my arrow. Well, about an hour or so later, I got down, look, couldn't find my arrow, looked around a little bit, couldn't find blood. So I backed out. I'm like, eh, I'm not going to push him. He ain't going to go bad tonight. So went back the next day with Mark and, uh, his stepfather and we looked and looked and looked and did not find one drop of blood, could not find my arrow, did not find a deer. And I actually, Todd, I sent you the video footage yep. and I even brought it back home after we looked for him almost that whole next day. And I mean, I slowed it down frame by frame and I mean, you might say a touch, forward i would say just a freckle forward but still but in the I wheelhouse mean, yeah i mean i you literally i couldn't almost couldn't walk up and put my finger on a deer no uh, any better of where you would want to hit him the only thing i can think of is is that as he wheeled turn to go away it was so tight to that shoulder that that shoulder you know plugged up the wound and didn't let him bleed for a good distance um to where it just we never got a direction on him. Once he hit the woods, I lost him and um, never could pick anything up. So unfortunately I was uh, unable to recover that deer, which was uh, extremely aggravating. Yeah. Cause it, you sent me the, um, you sent me the clip and then you said, cause I couldn't really see it. And then you sent it to me through messenger and I was like, and then I could see it a little better. And when I watched it, the, the second one you sent me, which was in slow-mo, I was like, what? It, if I didn't know any better, I would say that's a dead deer. Uh, it reminded me a little bit of the one that I shot a couple of years ago that you found the slug in a year later that it just, I was like, that deer's gotta be dead. <laughs> but yeah, well, I, a shame. I, I don't know. I, I did. I told him and I, you know, and I apologized to Mark out there and I said, Mark, I said, I, I said, the shot felt good. I'm more than comfortable with that distance. I said, and I, you know, in hindsight, I said, I wouldn't have done anything different. I said, I, you know, I feel terrible that we couldn't find that deer, but he's dead out there somewhere. Um, was he okay with it? Yeah. No, Mark, Mark's as good a guy as you're going to run into. I, I mean, he, he just, he's down to earth. He just good a guy as you're going to run into. So, you know, no, he, he was, he was good with it. And uh, I plan on going back out there with him doing some shed hunting and hopefully maybe we can, we can stumble across him. Like I said, it, he wasn't, he, he wasn't no giant, uh, antler, you know, scoring deer by any stretch of the imagination. So, but he was just a, he a, a big deer. old mature deer. And 
no, no, it, it was it was good deer, but I, I just uh, again I don't I don't ever release an arrow uh, at an animal without full intent of of recovering that deer. So um, it, that that always bothers me that yeah. when I'm able to recover one. So it going back to we were just talking about the deer that you helped me the one that I hit uh, with the muzzleloader, um, and you and I walked all over that hillside because that deer flipped over. And I was like, that deer's dead. And um, I just couldn't believe that he, we, could, we couldn't find him, couldn't find any blood. Um, you're pretty good at finding blood. Your eyesight's much better than mine. I actually went back out there, and our buddy that owns the farm had looked. He couldn't find him. I took Brian out there who could find blood anywhere. And he's like, I don't think he died. Well, then, I don't know if we've told this story before, but one year later, you were sitting not, what, 100 yards from where I was hunting? Probably not even that. <laughs> yeah, you shot it. You text me, I shot a good buck, and then you text me, and he goes, he said, what would your slug look like coming out of that muzzleloader or the shell? And you sent me a picture, and it was the exact – I mean, it, it was it was perfect. It was flattened down about what, three-sixteenths of an inch maybe? Yep. I, I couldn't believe it. Hit him on the shoulder, didn't I? That is a pancake. Yeah, it hit him in the blade of that shoulder up just, you know, just a fuzz high where, you know, where that shoulder starts to come back in at an angle. And I mean, it was just buried pancaked right on that shoulder. Well, let me tell you, and then you know this, but um, the same day that you sent me that picture, I changed the bullets. I shoot out of that muzzle loader. So yeah, that doesn't happen anymore. <laughs> well, yeah, that ain't that ain't no kidding. But yeah, that was that that was pretty wild. And and hey, I give them credit. Them deer are tough animals. But I just I don't see much of a way because I, you can see in the video that that deer I shot. I mean that that arrow went all the way through him. And oh yeah, I, oh I yeah, just, you know it disappeared out on the other side. And I, I just I don't. I don't see any way. I mean, I guess anything's possible, but I don't see many scenarios where that arrow, no. that deer's still alive. There's sometimes where you can, there's that little bit of a void in between like the spine and the lungs that kind of, kind of like nowhere, no man's land. But you weren't anywhere near that. You got along maybe two, I would guess yeah. probably two, but the only thing I thought, and maybe that made him went a little further is because when he will, I, you, I, I think I sent you the other video. One of those does blew. I mean, literally a half a second before I let my arrow go and it just, it alerted him and he went and spun and wheeled away from me. And the only thing that I thought is that maybe when he did that, as he's turning, it came out in front of the opposite shoulder yeah, and maybe only got one lung. And so then, you know, possibly because he's wheeling as it's hitting him and the only thing I'm thinking is that it, there's a possibility that it only caught one lung and he went quite a bit further than I was really hoping him to. Was I can't, I can't remember. Was there any snow on the ground then? Just, there wasn't much there. There was just a little bit, but I mean, you could still, I mean, you could still see dirt. You could, okay. I mean, it, it just, there wasn't Sometimes, much to speak of. You know how it is. Sometimes, especially on those bean stalks, that blood's kind of hard to see, but um, certainly if there was, you know, any snow or certainly when he hit the woods, it would show up pretty well on leaves. So especially that bright frothy looking stuff you hit with lungs. I, I don't, <clears throat> you hear these stories all the time. I don't know how they survive. They're tough animals. Uh, you know, you'll kill 
you'll kill one and, and you'll be like, well, it fell over dead and it was a piss poor shot. And then you'll put a freaking hammer job on one and it'll run for 700 yards. So. Yeah. I, I, well, like I said, I, I'm hoping to, I'm hoping to be able to go find him, go scour, look for some sheds out there with Mark. And uh, I, I'm, I'm hoping to be able to stumble across him at least, at least put a, you know, into the, to the story for sure. sure but we'll, we'll see what happens. A few more horns on the wall, at least he's out there somewhere. So let's get into this because, um, you and I have both started talking about this more over the last few years, and um, it's not easy. It certainly complicates things. Um, when you're talking about, you know, as a kid, I didn't play the wind, or you were saying earlier that your grandpa and my dad was kind of the same way. Well, you can't, you can't hunt, you can't kill them if you ain't with them. Well, you, you can't be with them if the wind's not right anyway. And then when you throw in thermals on top of everything else, that just complicates the matter even more. And actually, leads you just shows you exactly how intelligent these animals are, that they know they can use not only the wind, but thermals in their favor as well. Yes. Absolutely. So, yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Nathan. Uh, yeah, it, it just – it is. It, it's a whole other – if you're not taking that, uh, especially as a bow hunter, if you're not taking uh, thermals into consideration, I don't uh, – you're, you're, you're not giving yourself the best opportunity to be successful. You're right. It's just kind of, that's just kind of my thing with it. I, I'm all, you know, I like bow hunting. I'm that, that's just what I prefer to do. But at the same time, I'm trying to give myself every advantage as a bow hunter as I possibly can. Um, and again, th this is one of those things you have to learn and take into consideration if you want to be successful year in and year out. Yeah. Um, we're going to kind of go through, I got some, a few questions here. We'll, I'm going to kind of bounce them off you and then throw my uh, ideas in what I know about it. I've listened to a few podcasts. I've read about it. I think that's about what you've done as well. Um, we know enough to be dangerous. I can tell you the basics and I think you're a little more versed in it than I am, but that's why I'm going to bounce the questions off of you, but um, we'll kind of get into it here. Anyway, I was going to read this first of all, just, uh, and I know nobody wants to hear a definition, but thermals are defined by definition. A thermal is a column of air particles that rise or fall. Warmer, warmer air is less dense than cooler air, and changing temperatures, temperatures can cause distinct displacement of air, effectively creating thermal wind currents. The entire process is controlled by the sun or lack thereof. The atmosphere warms and cools, causing these air causing air to rise and fall and kind of like in the, probably the best way I've heard it explained and you can see it is um like out west every year when we have these uh forest fires and you can see the thermals where it just sucks the the heat sucks straight up um and you can it almost makes like those wind turbines or you know those uh fire devils and you can see how the the heat from the fire sucks up but that's thermals in a, in a nutshell. And here's what, and we'll get into these questions in just a second, but, but here's what I didn't understand for the longest time. And I still don't know that I completely understand it because so many things can change it, but just because you have a good wind and that used to be my number one thing, you know, when I finally figured that out, I started killing bigger deer, you know, when I was a kid and I would just hunt wherever I wanted to hunt, I'd see, you know, small bucks and some does, but nothing big. 
So when I started hunting the wind and that's when things started coming together, I was like, oh, there's something to this. And, you know, I think everybody has that aha moment where they get that. <clears throat> but when you started thinking into thermals and then it just, it complicates things so much more. And I think we're both going to throw out some stories tonight, kind of to, to throw into what we're talking about, but your hunt for the old man this year was perfect because he knew exactly where he could come in to be completely safe um, every night. And just so happens you crossed him up one night because you knew what was happening. But um, you got anything you want to add before we get going? No, no, it just, and again, I, we, we, we talked about this earlier before the podcast. It, it's just, you know, um, factor it in and learn, uh, go out there and learn from, from your experiences that you have. I mean, learn something from every hunt. Uh, and, and again, just put it in your tool bag and use it and you will become more successful at it. And th this is one of those things for sure. Yep. So let's start off with this one. Um, what I know what we do, but what do you, what, what do you use to check the thermals? What do you generally use to try to check them? Uh, I don't, I do not go in the woods without milkweed now. Um, the, uh, used to carry around the little smoke, the little wind Puffer indicators. Bottles. Yeah. Uh, yes. And those are perfectly fine. Uh, you know, when your day breezes are going on and everything else, but, um, it's it's hard to track them over any distance whatsoever uh you know you can kind of you can get a general direction with those by, by squirting that little smoke or what a powder in the air yep but after that it, it's hard to pick up it's hard to see because it just it almost disappears after it gets 10 15 feet from you um and there there makes that makes finding out what your thermals are doing even even harder because the thermals can completely counter counterdict the wind if you don't have a steady, you know, 8, 10, 12, 15 mile an hour wind. If you if you have light variable winds or, or just a light wind or, as you know, it, it can step down um, right at dark just as the sun goes down. It, it can be blowing 10, 12 miles an hour and then that sun goes down and it just it goes kaput. So I carry milkweed with me all the time. I keep some in that little pocket in my bino case. Nope, I keep some in my pack. I, I, I have milkweed all the time. And especially that first mornings, like I said, your thermals are rising, but we, we'll get into that. But especially in the evenings, man, you guys, I'm telling you, if you are not checking your thermals, the last 30 to 45 minutes in your setup in your tree stand to find out exactly what that wind is doing, you're doing yourself an injustice and, milkweed you can see for a long time and you will see the thermals will start to drag that milkweed in a different direction than what the prevailing wind is yep i do know i've heard a couple guys talk about um you were talking about the wind indicators that stuff it's almost too heavy to it falls faster than the wind than the thermals can pick it up but um when i first got into it and really started watching the wind real good i would take one of those small interior feathers off of turkey uh, one of those real light ones and I put a little tape across the top of my bow and I could watch it and I could see what my wind was doing on that uh, but like I said same thing with you I use milkweed I have heard guys like uh, in the off season where they have good setups they'll set off a smoke bomb 
uh, I think just one of those like kids smoke bombs and they'll watch it as it floats down through the, you know, wherever they're, wherever they're anticipating the deer to come from and that, that time of day to see what it does. Um, never tried it, but I have heard guys use it, but if you're not using milkweed it, and it, it has surprised me several times, especially like you were saying, when the wind starts to lay in the evenings, uh, you're like, well, the wind is in my face. I'm fine. And then I'll let piece of milkweed going i'm like what the hell is it doing and it just sucks at the opposite direction you're just it, it uh it makes you wonder how many times you've been busted when you thought you were completely fine mm-hmm. so yep, absolutely um you were just talking about it a little bit but let's get into the basic theories of morning and evening hunting so go after it <laughs> um again you you touched on it with the, you know the wildfires and everything else out west in it, general rule of thumb in the mornings where temperatures are rising, your, your thermals are going to pull up and away when uh, everything is cooling off in the evenings, your thermals are going to drop. Um, and that, that's just a general rule of thumb. Now, there, there's some different things that can, yeah, can factor into that, but for the most part, 90, you know, 85, 90% of your hunts in the mornings, the first couple hours, your thermals are going to be rising. You can you can get by with sitting in, you know, an area that might be a little questionable as far as the wind is concerned. Um, you know, you, you can, if you're sitting up above where something is at, you can almost get by with a bad wind. Uh, if you're up above where you think your deer travel is going to come from, which uh, can put it in your advantage. Uh, but uh, again, where I stress that you guys really, um, because you guys watch these big mature bucks almost every single time, especially out there where we hunt, they're, they're going to come up. They're going to come up a low spot. They're not just going to come trampsing along the top of a ridge. Just what they're going to come up that low spot where they're where thermals are being pulled and they can smell almost anything and everything that's out in front of them. And it, it just in the evenings I've had, I've had a straight steady, eight, 10 mile an hour wind in my face, that, that sun goes down and you just feel this slight breeze coming off the back of your neck. And And you're thinking to yourself, how can it be? I've been watching the weather channel. The weather's supposed to stay consistent all day. I'm fine. Uh, And, and it can get in. And I was just talking to you about a setup that I have. I just moved a setup because I couldn't see enough of the field. And I've, I've had some bucks skirt me because I wasn't able to shoot the field. Well, I had put it back 15, 20 yards from where I was at because I knew I was directly on top of the ridge. And if I had, you know, just a slight breeze, it would pull to the road back behind me. Well, I've decided to move the stand and I, I've, it's, although it's where I can shoot, I have more shooting lanes and can shoot a lot more if it comes through there. My thermals pull in the evenings right out in front of me, right to where I expect every single shot to come from. So it has done me absolutely no good whatsoever to move that stand there. Like I said, killer, killer spot, killer spot. I can shoot. I mean, in the mornings, I can probably get by with it, you know, and have, can shoot the field, can shoot my little food plot, and can shoot the woods out in front of me and even behind me. But evenings, you might as well not even go sit there because you, you are not going to have, you're not going to have any mature deer whatsoever 
come out in front of you because all of your thermals are going to pull are going to pull straight down to them as soon as that sun goes down. Yep. You're right. The only exception I can think of is if you get a, you know, I'm just thinking like right now it's cold as blazes outside. Um, you get one of those hard, steady, like a north steady wind, like 20 miles an hour. Something that, like you stated earlier, something that'll override the thermals. It, it there's no way it can pull to it because there's too much wind in its face. So, yeah. Um, the only other thing I was going to say is that you're talking. We talked mornings hunt high, evenings hunt low. Uh, just keep in mind that um, in the mornings, the sun's got to be on you before it can start warming the ground. So if you're hunting like a spot that you know is going to be shaded until 7, 8, 30, you know, 9 o'clock, your thermals are still pulling down because the earth's not warming up yet. It's got to have, if not direct sunlight, it needs it needs the ability to warm the atmosphere right there close. Absolutely. Um, let's see. I'm looking through some questions I wrote here. Bear with me. Um, does the weather affect the thermals? Uh, it does. Uh, absolutely. And again, it, you know, bigger temperature changes, you know, like if, if there's uh, like a, a big warm up coming or, you know, if the temperature is going to happen to dive off that evening. Um, yeah. I, it, bigger temperature swings uh, will definitely affect it. will pull thermals more than, uh, than they normally would. And um, also your pressure, your barometric pressure will, will affect your thermals as well. You got, you know, high pressure, more, more so raising barometric pressure will actually lift, um, lift, lift thermals or, or, or keep your scent up off of the ground as opposed to, um, and it's the same thing with like big humid days. Uh, yes. That air is real heavy, so it's going to push everything down. It's going down to keep the that, it's going to seep that keep that scent down closer to the ground. But it, it, if you pay attention, like we do enough to the weather, typically when these storms are coming in, you know, and you're going to have humidity and things like this, your pressure is down. You know, you're going to have low pressure and you're going to have high pressure after that system pushes through. Yep. So. You just have to be careful with it as that storm is coming through, because again, it's got your, it's going to hold everything down because of the moisture in the air, the, the air is heavy. And then after you have that next bluebird day, uh, you know, where the, your pressure is going up throughout the day and everything else, you can probably um, get by with your thermals rising for, uh, you know, a better part of that day, if not most of it. Yep. I've heard, and of course, everybody knows Mark Drury and he's notorious for killing monster bucks and he's huge on hunting days when high pressure comes in after low pressure first of all i think it gets the deer moving second of all you think about it your thermals are rising it gives you just puts more of the odds in your favor no it it absolutely does it, it uh and again we, we we've talked about this we've prefaced it we're we're no we are no you know by no means no experts on on the weather or these thermals or anything else we're we're talking to you about the experiences we have. I mean, I, I literally, you know, I take these things out there in every stand I'm in or whatever, uh, the different situations, different winds and everything else. I check it constantly throughout it. I, I want to know what it's doing where I'm, I'm learning by every single hunt, every time I go out there, because I, it, it just, you, you have to, every different condition, you know, like we just talked about different pressure, different, 
uh, you know, different wind speed, different, you know, humid, not humid, everything else will make these things, will make thermals, will make the air do different things. And the, the more you know what those different conditions will do to it, it's the better off you're going to be. You're right. I would say at the very least make mental notes, if not just jot down. You know, there are days I go out and I'm like, this is the day. It's perfect. And then I don't see anything. I'm like, well, something wasn't in my favor because the, it should have been, everything should have been. And something like this could be that case. And like you're saying, you know, uh, you may not have even known it, but there may be a low spot there with those deer coming up and, and it's your wind's perfect, but your thermals are drawn right to it. So you've got to always be aware. And like you said, we're by no means experts, uh, but we have killed some deer. Um, we know enough, like I said, at the beginning of the podcast, to be dangerous. Um, we'll see, you know, we're, we're learning as we go to, like I said, I've only been hip to this. I'd heard about it years ago and didn't put much stock into it. But as we've gone along, I'm like, there's, there's something to it. And the more I've read into it and listened to, to podcasts about, it, I'm like, oh, there's definitely something into it. So, well, um, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, and it, well, and, and, and again, my hunt this year, which you referred to for the old man, it, it, it was a classic example because man, I, that deer was, I mean, driving me plumb crazy every single time I would go down there and set away and do some sort of observation set, I would see that deer. But every time I would move in and go get him, he's a no-show. And yeah. I, I finally, after I went, you know, a, after I killed him, I went and again, I did some investigation on that and I, and I figured out what he was doing. And what he was doing was he was going by and checking and this draw that I had hung the set in to kill him in I hung it to make the thermals that in the evenings draw down this one drainage going through this chunk of timber. And I even sat on the ground uh, one evening in there. And after I killed him, I went down to the river and walked all along the river. And I found, you know, there's a big embankment that goes down to that river. And I looked and sure enough, right there where that drainage comes out, there was one heck of a deer path coming up right there and he was just walking by that in the evenings. And he's an old smart deer. He's, he's walking by that checking before he's showing himself. And, you know, I learned a valuable lesson right there. It, it, you know, before you, before you go hang that set, you know, make sure, make sure you know where them deer are going to be coming from because it, I needed to hang that set about 30 yards to the uh, south of where I did and I'd have been just fine. But I hung it right in that drainage and it almost, it almost cost me. Hey, uh, can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. My fine microphone went dead. I wasn't, I wasn't paying attention to you. I was trying to make sure that he was still playing. Yeah. Um, like you were saying, it, he knew exactly what to do to, without coming into that field to expose himself, he knew where he could come up to check and make sure that he was fine getting into it. Yep. Absolutely. He, he did. And it, uh, like I said, it, it, it just, Again, another thing you, you better take into consideration because that those big bucks that we're all out there chasing, they're taking it into consideration. Yeah. I promise you. Definitely. We kind of just went over this one, but um, hunting field edges, what's your basic theory there? Um, I know what I'm thinking, but let's hear what you are. And you kind of just went over it with this. Although your theory there was a little different in because that was a river bottom, but it still was drawing down to the river. Um, yes. 
but you and I, and we'll give this example right now. And, and you kind of gave one earlier about um, hunting that field or that same farm we hunt. But uh, a couple of weeks ago, I came across a big buck on a farm that's right there close. You hunt it way more than I do. I hunt it maybe a couple of times a year. Um, but you said, yeah, I know he's there. Uh, and he comes up in the same spot every time, but there's just no way to get to him. Um, even if the wind's in your favor, you're screwed. And, you know, just kind of go over that one for me. Yeah, well, where we hunt, and, and again, that's it's kind of another thing I wanted to touch into as well. Um, thermals are, um, trying to think of the best word here, more pronounced or more dramatic when you have uh, terrain. Um, yes. You can get by with a little bit more in, in flat country, uh, you know, like we talked about Illinois, where you're talking about mostly flatter row crops. And then, you know, there's some drainages in between, you know, you can, there's not a whole bunch of, of, of shifts in, but when you get into these ridges and valleys of stuff that, that this bigger terrain change, you know, when you got a hundred yard or a hundred feet, 150 feet of drop, um, or like this particular deer you're talking about, it's a ridge top field. Well, but where he's crossing this field, it dumps down into a valley on either side of him. And I mean, he, the chances of him not smelling you, you know, with him betting with the wind in his favor, no matter where you are, uh, on the edge of that field is about slim to none. Yes. Uh, because again, as that temperature drops and everything else, they are going to pull um, in both of those directions. I mean, it's going to come off the ridge of that field and it, they just they just taper down right directly off the, the ridge of that field, directly down into both sides. And of course, he's going to be he's going to be bedding with the wind in his favor. Uh, you know, if he's going in that direction, a big mature buck. So it, it uh, I mean, and again, we're, we're, we're prefacing this, you know, this is to, we all rifle hunt, but, you know, to bow hunt, to get within bow range of these deer, you know, you, you could probably sit back a good ways off and maybe get a, you know, a decent crack with a rifle with, 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 with this deer. But even that, in those areas is, is going to be tough. And again, like I said, a lot of it has to do with those terrain changes because the more drastic the terrain change is, the more active your thermals are going to be and, and push that wind around. Um, especially when you, you have a predominant wind blowing as well. They're just, I mean, they get in there and whip around and man, they can smell stuff almost 360 degrees around them. Yes. Um, I had called you, but I was like, I said, Nathan, have you seen a big wide eight pointer over here? And you're like, yeah. And, and I said, I saw him tonight and I was muzzleloader hunting. I, my muzzleloader maybe get 115 out of it. I wouldn't shoot any farther than that. And he come up out of this field and he actually came up out of that hole with the wind at his back, coming over his back. And I, and I thought, well, that's just, I don't understand why he did it. And then you and I started talking. You're like, well, the thermals were pulling down to him. And by the time he got to where he could see, come up on top of that field, he could smell it with his thermals. And then when, when he got to the field, he could scan it with his eyes and make sure there was no danger. So even in that point, he walked, which you never hear about, with a buck walking, because he walked all the way across that field with the wind at his back. And I, and it's just, I was just like, I can't believe he did it. 
especially late season. He's been chased for four months. But you, you were telling me, he was like, well, why wouldn't he? He knew what was in that field before he got it. And, yeah. and like you were saying, I was far enough off from him that I couldn't get a shot, so he didn't, get a sm- didn't smell me. So, yeah, it, it's kind of disheartening when you think to yourself, well, I finally got this figured out, and then you throw something like this into it, and you're like, oh, God, that just complicates it even more. <laughs> yep. No, it, it, it definitely does. And, I, and, and listen, it, it, should never, it should never deter you from hunting. It should just change your approach to how you're going to hunt it. I mean, again, we're all out there to hunt. We're all out there to kill deer. We're not telling you this to, you know, say, oh, my gosh, there, there, there's never a scenario where you should go get after. I mean, we, we discussed as well, and, um, you know, the rut, you can kind of, you can kind of throw caution to the wind because uh, there, there is something that overtakes the world um, that, that is more important to those deer at, at, during that period of time than anything else. Um, and again, the action can come from anywhere. It's not as predictive as what early and late season is and things like that. But um, again, we don't, this isn't to deter you or anyone from, going out there and still getting after it, but taking it in consideration like that one uh, stand I have, I, I mean, I need to move it to, you know, make your, make your small adjustments, you know, make, move it 15, 30 yards this way. And, and you know, and, and maybe it might be just enough on this particular wind to where it, you know, it's just going to miss him and it's going to give you, um, you know, give you that opportunity you've been looking for, as opposed to, you know, just keep hunting the, same stand in the same spot, you know, every year in and year out and, uh, you know, maybe not being as, as successful as you can. Yeah, definitely. And you kind of touched on it there a little bit. We were talking about it before the podcast, but the rut may be the only time I kind of, like you said, throw caution to the wind. I've even hunted some spots with a bad wind before, just knowing that you don't know where they're going to come from. Like you said, uh, women have gotten men in trouble for a decade for ages. Wars have been fought over. Uh, and they've gotten a lot of deer killed. That's why you see from the 20th of October till the 1st of December, there's more deer killed in there than any other time. Um, and that would be the one time I would say, yeah, you can probably you know, you want to try to put everything in your favor, but that's the one time that things, because you just don't know. They're out looking and, and you don't know where they might come from. Um, yep, gotta be hunting. Yeah, yeah. Gotta be with them to kill them. But, um, all right, let's go through a few more. We kind of hit that one. Um, we kind of hit this one, but I'm going to ask you because you really went over it. But uh, what time of day are thermals most accurate? What was that, Todd? You're... Can you hear me? Yeah, I can now. Okay, sorry. What time of day are thermals most active? Most active? I'm thinking. Uh, I mean, again, your first couple hours in the morning, yeah. and then, you know, it, and it last half hour to 45 minutes uh, of daylight to pass those two your uh pass those two your your prevailing winds are going to pretty much um you know dominate what um what your scent is doing but again i i still check um throughout that because a lot of the times again flatter areas you don't have to as much but those ridges and valleys that we hunt you know, it will, um, you know, they will gravitate 
to those low-lying areas yep. like they yep. will make a roundabout and, and go to it. So throw that milkweed out, find out what your scent is doing in that particular spot so you know if you need to make an adjustment um, here or there to give yourself a better opportunity. You, you know, something that just kind of hit me, and I, I've thought about this before, but think to yourself, when does, the, when does the wind start to lay and when does it start to pick up? generally the wind is being picked up because of thermals. Uh, it's heating up the atmosphere and it's causing it, unless there's a front or something. But you, you think about it, in the morning, generally, it's pretty calm. And as the day heats up, the winds kick up. And in the last 45 minutes, I'm guessing, you know, the wind starts to lay because the atmosphere is cooling. And that's when your thermals, you know, start to pull down. So just another example. <clears throat> um, we really went over this one a lot, but um, especially where we hunt. But in hill country, how do slopes, uh, especially slopes facing and facing the sun, more we'll say south facing slopes or north facing slopes, how would that affect thermals? Well, and and you touched on it. I, I mean, anything. But mornings, you're you know the temperature rising. Um, is, is what's going to bring those thermals up. So anything that the sun is hitting, of course, your thermals are going to, are going to start to rise earlier than something that's still in the shade on the, you know, South Faith and Slope or um, whatever it may be. So it, it uh, it's definitely uh, something to take into consideration. Um, a North Faith and Slope is more than likely it's going to, your thermals are going to start rising sooner, um, but they're also going to stop rising um, sooner than um, those other ones because they're going to heat up faster and those possibly, you know, when, when that wind gets going, you, those prevailing winds, those day winds, um, the thermals will stop rising, everything will settle out and, and uh, you know, you'll, you'll have to be hunting the wind at that point in time. We, we talked about it um, beforehand as well. I've, I've moved my setup during the rut three different times um, just cause I'll go hunt the first two hours somewhere. Uh, because I think I, like I said, there's, we've got several ridges and there are some plateaus in the ridges that will start diving back off. I've got this one particular spot overlooking that bottom farm where I like to be the first couple hours in the morning. And I'll almost hunt it on just about any wind the first two hours in the morning, because I'm setting up above this plateau where these deer like to travel. And no matter if it is pushing out from the north over the top of them or pushing back to me from the south, I'm good either way it goes because my scent is going to stay up above them because I'm that far above them in the first place. Yeah. Um, now, if it's pushing to the north, once that first couple hours goes by, I'm not going to be in that stand because I'm going to be pushing right down there to them. So if I get to, you know, 830, nine o'clock in the morning max and I haven't seen what I want to see I'm going to hop down and I'm going to go get to another one of my spots you know to, to go sit to hunt the wind and uh, you know get in a nice good cruising area with the wind in my favor mm -hmm. um, that may not necessarily be conducive to you know the thermals in the evening the thermals dropping so I may have to move again after that and like I said I've moved three times uh, several times in a, in a rut during the rut, um, again, just to try to keep uh, the thermals and the wind in my yeah. favor. Well, when you think about it, you can, you can be sitting, 
you could have, you know, two ridges overlooking the bottom and the thermals on one ridge could be doing the exact opposite of what they're doing on the other. If you've got a south facing ridge in the afternoon, those thermals are going to rise most of the afternoon, at least until the sun completely sets. Whereas, especially this time of year, when you don't get a lot of sunlight on those, on those north facing ridges, the thermals can be falling from one o'clock on. Well, and that's that's the thing. And in, in the same aspect, you know, you talk about in the hill country that that spot I was just telling you about on the side of that ridge um, over that over the bottom farm down there. I I don't hunt that in an evening, no matter what, because no no matter what the wind is doing, it could be hitting me square in my face at you know coming out of the south. But as that sun goes down, the thermals are going to drop and there it's going to go and it's the wind is going to push it. It's going to go straight behind me. And then the thermals are going to drag my scent directly back downhill right in front of me again. It will yeah. literally do 180 degrees no matter what. And it's going and those thermals are going to pull back down no matter what the wind is doing, because there is that much of a drop and I've got nothing but, you know, it, you know, but trees and and dirt behind me it's going to blow straight back hit it because there's such an elevation change it's going to hit it and then thermals that cool air is going to drop straight back down and it's going to drag all of my scent right in front of me and i could sit there for as long as i want to and i'm never going to get a mature deer out in front of me where i can shoot with a bow even though the wind's in your face and you should be fine right now we're gonna i'm gonna get into this question just a second here well i'll just jump into it but I've got a great example of this one and you do too, because the old man <clears throat> that we've talked about in the podcast before that you, that, that you killed this year, uh, water came into play. And so my question is how does water affect thermals? And it can, and there's multiple effects of it here. Um, you know, you could have moving water, you know, ditches, um, but go ahead. So we both got a good, a good examples of this one, but yours is probably the best because, the river that we hunt near, uh, well, I mean, we're not talking a, mo a monster river. We're talking um, probably most times of the year you could walk across it and, and not be more than neck deep. Uh, yeah. But it is moving, and it does suck those thermals straight down into it. And yeah. go ahead, tell you know, hit, hit that yeah. one for me. If you if you have a moving body of water, and I, I don't I don't mean just to you know, a trickling drainage. I mean, a, you know, a consistent, like we're talking about, like a river or, a, you know, a, a good sized creek um, that has consistent flowing water. It is going to pull scent thermals air to it. Um, anytime you move, like if you swing your hand like this, you're disturbing air. And from the areas around it, it's going to draw that air to it. Well, the river kind of works the same way. It's constantly that water is pushing air. So it is drawing other air from around it down to it because it's moving it. And so it will draw it down to it like some from your setup. But the other thing you have to take into consideration and especially I have several setups along that river down there. What I have to take into consideration and what I didn't with this old man is exactly where he's crossing because it's going to draw it to it. 
but then it's also going to take it in the direction it is blowing once it gets to the water or once it's where it's moving. So what you're saying is it's the direction that the water is moving. It's going to drag it that way. Correct. Correct. It's going to drag. It's going to drag your scent from where you're at to the water. And then it's going to drag it in the direction the water is flowing. So you better make sure you know, okay, you're perfectly fine here. Okay, my I know my scent's dragging down there. That's what my milkweed's doing. But you better know if he's crossing 30 yards downstream from you, your scent is hitting that water and pushing straight to him. <laughs> yeah, which is why you knew exactly where he was and you couldn't close the deal until you figured out that that little drainage ditch that we talked about in the podcast a couple of weeks a couple of months ago i it had i knew i knew it had to be something that i was doing because i literally i probably saw this deer eight separate times this year before i killed him and never one time did he show up while i was on that side of the field to hunt him with my bow every single time he was an absolute no-show when I got to that side of the field so I knew it had to be something that I was doing either where he was bedded down where he was crossing there was something I was doing that was messing this up to make him not come across during daylight because any other time I was on the other side of the field 350 yards away from him he was out in that field 10, 15 minutes before dark, like clockwork. Yep. And that was a mature, mature deer. So he knew, he knew what he was doing. I will, I kind of had an example about that one too. This year when I was hunting in Illinois, I was hunting over a little Creek. Um, and it's just a little ridge there. And I was hunting at the edge of the woods, looking into the woods with the field behind me and the wind was in my face. So I'm watching out in front of me and I thought I'm fine. I'm high enough that I'm going to be, that, that the wind's not going to swirl down in this hole. I'm going to be perfect. Well, about, I don't know, the wind started to lay a little bit. Let's say about 4.15, I grabbed some milkweed and threw it and it did just what I did wanted it to. It went out behind me and I watched it. It was a pretty big chunk, but big enough, but small enough that it could, would stay afloat and I could see it. And it kind of went out in the field and then it circled down about, let's say 15 yards behind me. And then all of a sudden, there was a little bit of a low spot, maybe 20 yards away from me to my to my left as I was looking into the woods. And I watched that, and I watched that milkweed, and it went right down to that low spot. And next thing you know, it's heading like a freight train for the bottom of that, for that little creek. And I was just like, I can't even believe that that's what that's doing, because everything is perfect. And I'm thinking to myself, it's one of those nights, it's, it's you know. November 11th. I'm like, this is it. I'm, I'm dropping a boner tonight. And then I'm like, and then my heart just sank. I'm like, you've hunted here for years and you've seen a few good ones, but now I know why I haven't seen more because that was it. And it, it, it was like one of those aha moments. Like we were talking about earlier, they were just like, Oh yeah. <laughs> well, and, and you alluded to it during the start of the podcast and you know, the reason we're having this conversation because because we've been there, and I'm going to tell you now. I've you know you, you you hear these you know you you tell your hunting stories to your buddies and everything else, and you know you see some of them they kind of look at you you know when you 
talk about or, you know, tell them the bucks you're seeing or, you know, even show them some video footage or whatever else. And, you know, they get kind of skeptical. And how, how are you seeing all these deer and everything else? It, you know, I don't see all these bucks when I whenever I go to the woods. Well, we were in that boat as well. I, I mean, it, which is why we started paying attention to these things. And I'm telling you right now, uh, you know, Todd, you talked about it, paying attention to the wind, paying attention to these thermals, paying attention to my scent control. Uh, you know, there, there's just a lot of the things. And again, staying out of the woods, days where, you know, the wind is doing a whipper wheel all day long, you know, where it's blowing in eight different directions and nothing's consistent and, and everything else, not giving them, you know, the idea that they're being hunted, you know, and blowing your scent in every which direction known to man. Um, my, my buck sightings and my mature buck sightings have went up tenfold since I've started paying attention to these things and implementing them while I'm hunting. You're exactly right. And what we, we spoke about it earlier, we're by no means experts. We know enough about this to be dangerous. We know enough about this to kind of sound like we're intelligent when we talk about it. And that's probably stretching the truth. Um, but if you, if you're curious about it, I would listen to podcasts. There's probably way more, uh, informative ones out there than this one and read about it. There's articles all over the place. I've read about them for, you know, I've spent the last two years reading about it. Um, but putting this, putting these theories to work will definitely help you improve your chances of killing good bucks. Um, you know, it, it, uh, like I was just telling that story earlier about that, that milkweed drawn right back down into that hole and my heart just sunk because I have hunted that spot for years and I've seen some good deer. I've actually killed a couple good deer there, but it was one of those where it was kind of like your grandpa was saying, you know, just get down there and hunt, hunt, hunt them, get down. It doesn't matter what the wind is. Well, you know, uh, blind dog finds a bone every now and then. Sometimes you just luck out, but if you want to put the, the odds in your favor, if you pay attention to all the stuff you were just talking about, like scent control, uh, your thermals, your wind, I mean, these things didn't get huge by, by being stupid. Uh, you put all that in your favor and they've still got the advantage because you're, you're walking into their house. They're, they're not, you're not in there. You're, you're in theirs. You're not, he's not in yours. Um, but you know, it does help the odds. Um, you got anything, we're going to wrap this up cause we're getting running long here, but you got anything you want to add? That's just it. I mean, I, again, we're just trying to, Hey, we put this out there. We enjoy, we enjoy hunting. We want other people to go out there and enjoy hunting. Um, and in order to do that, I, I don't, you know, we all enjoy the outdoors. We all enjoy being out there, but the reason we go out there and do it is, it, you know, is, is to harvest these animals it is to be successful. Um, you're, you're going to be more likely to stick with it. And these are just things that in our experience, like I said, we're not experts. We're not experts. We, you know, this is what we've learned through our own personal experience. And that's kind of what we're getting at here today is just go out there and, you know, experience these things, go out and, and try these things out and learn, learn from what you did the previous time. And, you know, it, it doesn't take anything to grab one of the milkweed pods and throw it in your pocket and figure out what your thermals are doing in the morning and the evenings in your stands. Uh, it, it just may, it just may show you something, uh, let you make a slight move 
that gets you in front of that buck you've been trying to kill. And, 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 that, and that's the reason we're doing this. Like I said, not because we consider ourselves experts or that everybody needs to listen to us. Just, just throw it in there, learn, learn your stands, your situations, your land yourself, and uh, you know, use it. And hopefully you'll be more successful by doing yeah, it. Exactly. Yeah. We're, we're by no means experts. Uh, if you're looking for experts, you're looking in the wrong spot, but we're, <laughs> The guys that helped me out with the podcast, uh, good guys that are good hunters, uh, probably much better than me, but um, just make notes. Nathan and I bounce notes off each other all the time. Um, you've heard us t- talk on this podcast about how hard the farm is we hunt. It is to hunt, and this and thermals is a major reason because most of the time we know exactly where the bucks are, and the, they know we're there long before we know, you know, before we ever get a, a, a get to sight them. So, um, I'm going to wrap it up after that. If you're good with Nathan, you got anything else? No, nope, good to go. Just, uh, everybody, I hope your 20, uh, 2021, 22 season was successful. If not, uh, scouting and, uh, shed hunting and everything starts now and turkeys will be coming soon. So, uh, We'll be coming back at you with all that stuff. I'm geared up for the thunder chickens. Ain't nothing like, uh, I love to deer hunt, but there's nothing like when a, uh, yeah, I seen behind you. <laughs> for the people who are listening, Nathan's pointing to his, uh, pointing to his long beard on the wall behind him, but <clears throat> nothing's like when a freaking, uh, gobbler cuts loose at about 20 yards right behind you. Your heart just stops. You're like, Oh, <laughs> I am ready, buddy. For sure. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, thanks for tuning in, uh, tell your friends, uh, get the chance, share the podcast, leave us a uh, review. I'd like to hear from you. Um, we've got, like I said before on last week's podcast or two weeks ago, we're going to try to come to you every other week. Uh, we really fell off last year and that's my fault. Um, but we've got content. Nathan's working on guys to talk to. We've got content coming. Um, I know we're going to be talking to a guy, <clears throat> who lives in the uh, in the mountains of West Virginia. He's going to tell us what it's like to hunt that. I can't even imagine. <laughs> we, we at least go hunt food here. I don't know. Just go sitting in the woods, uh, hunting in the big timber. That would be difficult, but we're going to find out. So, uh, hey, thanks for tuning in to Busting Beaks and Chasing Tails. See you guys. for listening to the Bustin' Beaks and Chasin' Tales podcast. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook at Bustin' Beaks and Chasin' Tales.